It's your Locked On Flyers podcast for Monday, August 1st, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is always excited about looking back on some key moments in Flyers history, like the Eric Lindros trade. Yeah, this is fun stuff. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here as always with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. Thanks for making Locked On Flyers your first listen every day. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Flyers. That's where you'll keep up to date on all of our episodes and Flyers news. You can also email the show at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. We are going to be talking about that Eric Lindros trade and its legacy for the Flyers, as well as naming our nemesis of the week. Locked on Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening. Subscribe. You'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Plus, you can watch us over on YouTube. All right, Russ. So we are uh, admittedly old enough to remember all of this as it happened. Um, Slightly younger than you are, but um, still old enough to have remembered a lot of the details of what happened Mm -hmm. with the Eric Lindros trade. But you actually watched it closer and there's a reason for that. So you were in on it earlier than I was. Yes, and that's uh, partially because, obviously, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, was a Flyers fan, um, I would say, from the womb. Uh, and so I was pretty pretty close in on what was going on then, especially with my mom, who was the big hockey fan in the family, who made me uh, the fan I am today. And so she was very uh, attuned to what was going on with everything as well. Uh, It was such a different time then. It was pre-Gary Bettman. Uh, Gil Stein was the commissioner of the NHL back then. Russ Farwell was the Flyers GM back then. So kind of before what we would call the more modern era of Mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Flyers, especially kind of once you hit the Bobby Clark era and Paul Holmgren, um, things got a little bit wackier in Flyers land. I think things were a little bit more traditional when Russ Farwell was, was the GM of, of the team. And so, uh, in the year of our Lord, 1991, uh, as we recall, Eric Lindros was drafted by the Quebec Nordiques, but he had made it very clear that he was not interested in playing for the Nordiques and uh, lo and behold, they did it anyway. I think, you know, cause they knew they could get a return for him uh, that was going to be astronomical and it was in their interest to still draft him and make him, you know, put his money where his mouth was and actually sit out that year. Yeah. It it was definitely too better to draft him than not draft him based on the fact that he was the best player in the draft. And if you just don't draft him, you're just now missing out on the best player. And that makes no sense. Uh, I could give you a comparison. Uh, Back in the day, Mark McGuire went up to the Mets 
pre-draft and said, don't draft me, I won't play for you, and they didn't draft him. But the guy they got was bad. So, like, you know, that could have happened to the Flyers, right? So the Nordiques, rather. So they did the smart thing by protecting the asset. But, you know, you didn't see this a lot from athletes, especially hockey. You would almost never see this happen where a guy just says, I'm not going to play for you. Uh, it did happen, you know, later, like in the NFL with Eli Manning. He got, right. you know, he got drafted by the Chargers and then never played for them either, right? They got traded pretty quick. So, yeah, this was kind of like, you know, I felt like, at least as a fan, new territory. And it was exciting. It was interesting. Even, even like I said, even looking from afar, and, you know, I still thought this was interesting. Right. So then the next year around the draft, Quebec tries to deal Lindros, right? Because obviously he's not going to play for them and they want to get the most assets possible. It comes down to the Rangers and the Flyers. And the order of operations is that there was a handshake deal with the Flyers and there was confirmation uh, needed that Eric Lindros was going to be okay with playing for the Flyers. Flyers got back to them and said, yeah, he'll play for us. But in the meantime... Quebec got cold feet and went to the Rangers and made a separate deal. And right. So so let's stop it there for a minute because, (laughs) you know, me at that time, you know, being a hardcore Ranger fan, it, it would have been easy for me to just blame this on the flyers saying, Oh, look, the flyers are pulling something here, but they weren't. This was Quebec playing both sides of the fence. It was. And I, as you'll, we'll get it deeper into it. I, I did an interview Neil Smith about this, uh, the Rangers GM for a book. So we did chat about this, but at that point for what we do as just fans listening to this, you know, my gut would have said, boy, what are the flyers kind of trying to pull here? But then you could see that after a little bit that Quebec was really the culprit here. Exactly. And so it went to arbitration uh, eventually. But I want to talk to you about the potential deals because yes. uh, we do know um, that the Flyers deal with Steve Duchesne, Peter Forsberg, Ron Hextall, Kerry Huffman, Mike Ricci, Chris Simon, Philly's first round pick in 93 and 94 plus $15 million, which huge, huge haul. Uh, the Rangers deal, I think, was better. And I so I understand why Quebec got cold feet and went to the Rangers, because if they're getting Sergei Nemchinov, Tony Amante, Alexei Kovalev, James Patrick, and then getting Van Biesbrook or Richter, multiple draft picks and 20 million, to me, that's the better deal, honestly. Yeah, that that is the better deal, especially because of the goaltender. No offense mm-hmm. to Ron Hextall, but no, of course, and Beesbrook and Richter were, were way better at that point. Uh, Hextall would still have a moment or two, but but that's you know the way it was. Uh, the interesting thing is, at first, the Rangers said they were not involved in this, and actually, um, Neil Smith had said that he thought the Blackhawks would get him long, you know, long before this all happened. Mm-hmm. But then when Neil Smith got called and all of a sudden they were having these heavy negotiations. It went until like four 30 in the morning. Like this is, you know, it wasn't just like a, a quick little discussion. This was like a big, long discussion. And yeah, to, to the credit of Quebec, they had worked out a better deal, but kind of did it illegally. 
<laughs> right. You know, and that's the thing. But, you know, from like Neil Smith's perspective, he thought he got Eric Lindros. Like, you know, he doesn't know all the other things that are going on. And I don't even, from what I can recall, I don't even think he knew exactly everything that the Flyers had done at that point. He just knew what he was working off of what he was being told from Quebec and that deal. So in his mind, he was like, yeah, we're going to get Eric Lynn just because he knew we put up a great deal. Exactly. And, you know, like I just said, I absolutely agree. It's the better deal from the New York Rangers. But uh, unfortunately, the Flyers deal was technically agreed to first. And that's what Larry Bertuzzi, who was the arbiter in mm -hmm. the decision, he was a lawyer from Toronto that was hired by the NHL to do this. They had this uh, drawn out hearing that lasted yeah. five days. There was like thousands of pages of documentation, I think. I read about it. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, on June 30th, 1992, there was the final announcement about the decision. And I personally remember this day because, uh, and this will specifically age me, but I had just graduated high school and was headed to college for orientation. There was a weekend orientation orientation session uh, in June, uh, and I went to school in Washington, D.C. And so uh, my mom and I are in the car driving south on I-95 as this decision is being read with the radio slowly fading out and the crackling and static uh, starting to weave its way into this announcement. And the decision, I think, I, it felt like it lasted an hour. It was so Yeah, see, I would have told you. Turn on WFAN, you were getting, because they had a bigger signal, and you probably would have gotten it. Not but, from Maryland. I don't yeah, know. I don't you know. Gotten... I, when I lived in Virginia, I would get FAN, but mostly at night or late in the day. So that's that's mostly true. So, yeah. Well, we just managed to hear what the decision was through the static on I-95 <laughs> somewhere in Maryland, like just north of Baltimore. And we were screaming and crying in the car. And then I had to like figure out how to get myself together for college orientation. But uh, it, it was quite a day for Flyers fans and uh, and for Rangers fans, for that matter. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I think it. it it changed some things for both teams and, you know, for the Quebec Nordiques as well. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about that in the next segment. But I, I think before we get to that, it's easy to say in retrospect that maybe the Flyers shouldn't have made that deal. But I think that it's obvious they just should have made the trade. I mean, it's it's a franchise player and perhaps one of the best players of all time uh or predicted to be predicted to be you, we didn't know that he was going to have the health problems that he was going to have right. concussions um so predicted to be yeah he definitely was predicted to be at that time uh the other thing though that i'm pretty certain of is with an aging spectrum and like you know the flyers lacking a little excitement at that point he helped get the new building built, whatever you want to call it, the core state center. I forget what it was. It's had so many iterations. I think that's what it was. But, I think um... that's what it was too, but, but I don't think that place gets built if they didn't get Eric Lindros. So I think from that standpoint, it did catapult them more than just getting a great player, but like propping the franchise back up and putting them into a position where they can get a new building, more revenue and really, you know, become a force again. 
Absolutely. All right. We're going to talk about that and more repercussions of the deal coming up next. But first, we're going to hear about our friends at Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find league reviews and news on every league, including Major League Baseball, and all the info leading up to next year's NFL, NBA, and NHL seasons. They even cover combat sports, esports, and golf, too. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to scores and podcasts and more. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to check in all your favorite sports and events. Head to the Bet Online website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So you mentioned that Lindros was a huge impetus to get the Wells Fargo Center built. It was, the, I think, the Core State Center. I have a brick there. I think so. So with a plaque <laughs> on it. I think it says the walk at Core State Center on it. Uh, but I think that it also led to the Flyers building a team around him. And so yes. it led to the emergence of the Crazy Eights line, you know, and then the Legion of Doom, which was just such an integral part of the Flyers of the 90s, uh, yep. leading to them making the cup final in 97. Yeah, I mean, everything was great for them getting to that cup final until, you know, the left wing lock. Then they were... <laughs> They were powerless, right? Up until that point, they were pretty much world beaters. And, you know, even, you know, that, that conference final in 97 with, you know, Messier and Gretzky being a little older, especially Gretzky, because, you know, he would retire shortly after that 99. um, He, um, they still put up a pretty good fight, but Lindros was still just too much for them. I mean, that was a, a really big deal. And, you know, at that point, I thought, "Wow, they're gonna they're gonna win the cup." I had no idea what was coming from Detroit. I had no idea. It was unbelievable. I went to Game One of that series, and you were just like, "This team is on a whole other level." That I, I think that one player could not overcome. That's for right. Sure. Yeah, and and that's the thing. They they really you know set that up. But look at what, like you said, the arc that it took. That franchise, I don't think, would have been on the same arc even with those players. Now, Forsberg's a great player, but at that point in time, it was more valuable to be a um, a physically forceful player and offensive player than a finesse guy like right. Forsberg was. And I think that's where the, the Flyers got the extra traction because, like you said, the Legion of Doom line, that was a big deal. Like that, teams had a hard time defending that. Yeah. And the Flyers were not a team that got finesse guys like that's right. just not something that they ever really focused on. They they got guys who could score a lot, but you mm-hmm. had to also have a physicality to your game as well. And that was just kind of part of the DNA of the team. Yeah, that was part of the DNA of the team. And that was something where, you know, if you think about it, I mean, Eric Lindros, you know, when this when he came over, he was like currency. If you remember, like in the collectibles market, there was a um, a baseball card, uh, just a card company called Scoreboard, and they made like the four sports card, and Eric Lindros was on that. And then even Score had this cor- card of Eric Lindros um, in mm-hmm. a in, in, um, spring training, taking batting practice with the Blue Jays. I still have that card. Like he was currency for that. He was selling jerseys. He was a big star in the league. And, you know, he had that thing going on with uh, – 
the mob guy too, Joey, whatever his last name is. Maybe I shouldn't even say it, but no. you know, <laughs> there was that, there was that too. So that was something where that there was a lot going on with him there. And of course the eventual feud with him and Bobby Clark too. Right. And that was a huge part of his time with the Flyers as well. I think, you know, obviously Eric Lindros has had a complicated legacy with the Flyers and it started with his father and the feud with Bobby Clark. Uh, the relationship was not good. And then, you know, the concussion issues that started to emerge, um, Man, I there's very few grudges I hold in this world, and Scott Stevens is on <laughs> my list to this day. Uh, I, I just it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Yeah, I remember seeing the hit, and I was just like aghast. Like not because mm -hmm. it happened, and definitely not because it was Scott Stevens, but just because it was just like wow, this was just brutal. Like it was brutal. But, you know, Lindros did have a few brutal hits on other players himself, too. So it was one of those things where it was like, it's just so, you know, I guess he became a target. That's, you know, and of course, with a guy like Scott Stevens, he was always going to go after your biggest target. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it was definitely a, a rocky road with Lindros during his time here. Obviously, he went on to play for other teams in in the league. And I'm just wondering, Russ, what you think if, if, in as far as his legacy and that trade. Do you think there's been a trade as impactful for the Flyers in their history? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I really think that was the most impactful. And, and I think when you think about like today, if you gave up those kinds of assets today in a capped world, you'd be dead. We would be talking totally. about Mike Trout, like, you know, playing with a bunch of guys and never winning, right? That's what it would have been like for Lindros. Like, they just wouldn't have been able to survive. But in an uncapped world, it was a great trade because you got one of the best players in the game instantly, and he was young, and you could build around him. That's fantastic. But you do that trade now, you're dead in the water. Right. And that's why I think the kind of pre-cap era big trades are, are going to be the biggest trades in NHL history in perpetuity, because yeah. I just don't think you can make a deal like that uh, that will have as big an impact. I really think the Gretzky trade to L.A. Uh, from Edmonton is probably the biggest trade in NHL It's the history. biggest. Yeah. Um, and then you could maybe argue that Patrick Raw to Colorado to kind of seal their cup run with the avalanche which again yeah. was hugely impacted by the lindros listen built off of this trade man <laughs> exactly the, the, it really was but no i mean it, it's a great point the, the one thing i'll bring up about the uh the gretzky one is you know you, you heard these little things about there being money trouble or whatever but you always kind of grew up with the uh, you know back then it was always kind of like oh he's going to play with that team for the rest of his career because players still did that and when Gretzky got traded, that was when you realized anybody could be traded. Like that was for any sport. And that's been mm -hmm. used for ever since Gretzky got traded before then it was always like, yeah, it could happen, but it's not the norm. But ever since then it was Wayne Gretzky that really that caused that, you know, for people to say that in all sports now, but yeah, as far as Lindros, you know, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Right. And then talking about the Colorado Avalanche, you know, obviously Quebec moves to Denver a couple of years 
later. I didn't uh, mind seeing that happen, by the way, because again, <laughs> I was just like, after this whole fiasco, I was like, see you, Quebec. Have a nice life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Quebec. You know, they, they won the cup in 96 with Forsberg on that team. And oh, yeah. because of the Lindros deal, like I said, they were able to make that trade for Patrick Roulat, yeah. Um, using one of at least one of the assets from the Lindros deal in that trade. They won the cup again in 2001 using more assets from the original and deal. guys like Duchesne and Ricci, they mm -hmm. were there for that. Like they, you know, they were a part of that. Forsberg was the biggest other than wow. He, you know, in Sackick, he right. was the next biggest guy. So they wouldn't have won that any of those cups without Forsberg. Now getting why, yeah, they might've won one of them, but they mm -hmm. definitely Forsberg was a integral part too. And the shame of it all is, you know, when he came back and I was covering here at that point, you know, he just, his foot always was just so bad. And, you know, he was good for a little while, but then when the foot became bad, it was just like, kind of like he'd be in and out of the lineup and the team would sort of like be waiting around for Forsberg to come back to sort of rescue him, you know? Right. So it did work out on the other end. Of course, the Rangers won it the did. cup in 94. And had they traded well, all those players, like some of those were would key not players, wouldn't have happened. Richter, Kovalev, like those are two of their biggest players in that cup run. Nemchinov was pretty big too, yeah. So kind of to wrap up this part of it, do you think that the precipitating incident, a holdout, will ever happen again in the NHL? No, I, I think... I think the uh, the issue is, and even we kind of saw it with Connor McDavid. Was he thrilled to get drafted by the Edmonton Oilers? I don't think His so. His facial expression gave that away. <laughs> right. But he also knew, okay, what are my options here really? And, and, you know, in the end, it's worked out pretty well for him. Maybe it hasn't, you know, with playoff success. Overall, just, you know, having fans love you and, and really – grasp you know grasp onto you you know canadian fans are great for that so i don't think we're ever going to see that and i just think right now i think and maybe you know maybe if there's a change in commissioner and and money gets different and the cap goes really high then maybe that could happen but there are plenty of players that get drafted to teams that they're not thrilled with but they know it's a process and they know they can eventually get away from it if that's what they want yeah, I 100% agree with you there. All right, we are going to come back with our nemesis of the week. So last week, Russ, we talked about the Flyers taking risks on maybe the wrong things as our nemesis of the week related to some of the contracts that they've signed over the last six months or so. This week, uh, I want to keep it Eric Lindros related. And so for me, it's thinking about rule changes in the NHL to make the game safer. And the fact that I don't think they're going to happen fast enough. And Eric Lindros, you know, as part of his legacy, he talked a lot about his concussion history and, you know, what happened with his brother, Brett, that basically killed his career from jump, uh, from head injuries. And that, you know, he has been working with people to try and get some additional rule changes made in the NHL to prevent open ice hits and boarding and those sorts of things that lead to concussions. And 
you know, I think Lindros has had a point over the years that there are things that the league could do to make it safer. And, you know, I think some of those hits that happen while the fans love them, and sometimes I love seeing a, a great hit thrown, they can get dangerous. And, and they're trying to deal with the targeting of the head, but I don't think they're quite there yet. They're not. And I appreciate what Eric's tried to do with that. And especially with Brett. And I did cover Eric when he was with the Rangers. I was at that press conference and, you know, he started talking about that as a player, like he, you know, and then really pushed it when he became part of the PA for a little while. So I, you know, I give him great, great credit for that. Um, I'm going to say my nemesis of the week is just, and we don't have everything yet, but all this hockey Canada business, it just, it's awful. And, and I just, I want things to change. I want there to actually be real change, but you know, change is easy to talk about and it's harder to do. And so I'm, I'm just right now, that's my nemesis because I'm not seeing any real change. Yeah. It's been a struggle with hockey Canada and them kind of not taking accountability and not resigning. Um, There's a lot more to come on that front. They're having hearings on that. And um, if you're not following Rick Westhead, he's been, uh, him and Katie Strang have been doing the best reporting on it. So uh, you should check out their work uh, if you want to know more details about that. I want to wrap things up with a little bit more Lindros because, uh, like I said, the relationship with the Flyers and Lindros was rocky for a number of years, and he was kind of unwelcome for a while. And it kind of took um, his Hall of Fame induction because, of course, Mm -hmm. he had a a tremendous career, Hart Trophy, uh, and I, I think getting to the retirement stage and all of the kind of post-career ceremony of it really led to a warming of the relationship between him and the Flyers. And I think also him getting older and his father having less influence in his yeah, life. I interviewed his father. I do it too. I could second that. I, I interviewed him when he got traded and I could second that um, with that. But I could tell you the... Um, Probably the biggest warming trend was at the Winter Classic because yes, uh, I, I interviewed I interviewed Eric for my book. I wrote the Winter Class a book on the Winter Classic, and like that was something he was really thrilled about um, being a part of it, being able to play in the old timers game. That was still probably the best old timers game that they had in any of them, or you want to call it Legends game, whatever you want to call it. But that's what it is. Uh, but the whole process was just something that didn't get past him. And I knew at that point he would get back in the fold. Yep. And uh, he was actually in the stands uh, about a section over from me. Uh, I attended that game and I got to take a picture with him and talk to him. He could not have been more gracious. And uh, one of one of my favorite moments as a Flyers fan and other favorite moments, those Flyers fun things, uh, his Hall of Fame induction speech was pretty tremendous so we'll link to that as well as his uh, jersey retirement ceremony uh which was a lot of fun as well yeah that was great i think it was just a huge moment and i think was like a capstone on everything related to lindros well yeah because we would always i would i would always sit up in the press box and look at all the you know flyers hall of fame and you know retired numbers and everything and lindros wasn't there would always be a focus of discussion and they finally took care of it 
Yep. So, you know, he's in the Flyers Hall of Fame. He's got his jersey retired. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And he continues to do some really great work in the hockey community as well up in Canada. So still love Eric Lindros to this day. Uh, have his jersey in my closet and uh, definitely one of my favorites. I can see why. All right, that will do it for today's show. We're going to be back again on Wednesday. We are going to start talking to some of the other teams in the Metro division about what's been going on with their off seasons and get some insight into that. We're going to start with Gil Martin of Locked On Islanders and have a conversation with him. Uh, as a reminder, we always want to hear from you. So you can send in your thoughts and your mailbag questions via Twitter at Locked On Flyers, or you can email us at lockedonflyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R M I R I A M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S P O R T S O L O G Y. You made us your first listen today. Now make your second listen Locked On NHL. Locked On experts give you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. You can stay up to date on everything in the hockey world with Locked On NHL, your daily NHL podcast. Have a great day, everyone.